Welcome back to the Blaze and Access podcast, amplifying the disability voice one story at a time. I'm your host and executive producer, Blaze Bryant. It is great to have you back, and it's great to have my next guest here, Alex Thompson, who is the new director of advocacy for the New York Association on Independent Living. He was their communications person, got promoted a few weeks ago, so... Sometimes in life, an opportunity, the best way to get it is by being at the right place at the right time. We're going to continue our conversation about the Americans with Disabilities Act and where it needs to be strengthened, as well as talk a little bit about what's on the horizon for the Association of Independent Living and what Governor Kathy Hochul did on the anniversary of the ADA. Alex, Good to have you on the show, my friend. Thanks so much. I'm I'm very glad to be joining you, Blaze. I know we've known each other for quite a while now, and so um, I'm I'm so glad to be here and uh, and talk with you about all this stuff. Pleasure's mine. So, right place at the right time. You you got this job here as the director of advocacy. What's it been like so far? Um, it's been very good. You know. Um, we have a really strong, uh, great network of advocates, um, including, you know, our executive director, Lindsay Miller, who's, um, you know, who takes on, on advocacy work, um, as well as our various committees that, um, that do advocacy at Nile, um, and the strong leadership of our board members and our ILC executive directors and, you know, all the ad- advocates in the SSAN program and then in the centers. Um, I'm, I'm very, um, very excited to get to work with all of them. And it is, um, as I said, it's a very strong network. So it's, um, you know, it's kind of an honor to be able to uh, take over from Megan Parker and, um, you know, help coordinate uh, a lot of the efforts. Yeah. One of those deals, Alex, where you can't fill the shoes, you just have to put on the ones you have because (laughs) she did so much. And it's a network that you know super well because, hey, you started out, in independent living at a center and then you got to well where you are now yeah i think i think it's it's a i feel like i have a good background you know i had started at the um resource center for um accessible living in uh, kingston new york as an ssa advocate um and so i i feel like i kind of know some you know every independent living center is different but i feel like i i understand some of you know some of the challenges locally that advocates uh, go through um, you know, a lot of the special issue advocacy that affects, um, you know, uh, systems and individuals on a local level. So I, I feel, um, confident that I can be a, you know, an asset to, um, to, you know, moving our movement forward. Yeah. If you had to pick one issue, Alex, in the systemic sphere of things, whether it be employment, housing, you name it, What's the issue that for you are the most passionate about? Oh, well, I mean, they are all, I mean, we, we always talk about systems advocacy and, and all of these are various systems and they're all very connected. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that, that I talk about, right. Well, I talked about um, this past week, I was on a webinar um, related to the ADA was disability poverty. Um, I think it's, Again, it's kind of a broad topic, but 
um, you know, at least when I was working at the center level, there were a lot of people, um, you know, trying to survive on SSI or SSDI. And, you know, when you look at the costs of um, housing, you look at, you know, the cost of transportation, if you have to have a private vehicle or even just, um, you know, paying Uber or Lyft or, or even trying to get um, some kind of accessible transportation. I think when I, when I look at the total picture, I see this disability poverty issue as, as something that really needs to be addressed. And of course that includes, you know, employment for people that are able to work or um, would like to work. And it also includes, um, you know, hopefully at some level, this gets more into federal advocacy, which we don't do as much, but, you know, benefits cliffs and um, making sure people have access to um, benefits that kind of keep them out of poverty where they can kind of sustain themselves and have, you know, their basic needs met and, and also be able to have the ability to thrive as well, you know, getting an education, um, getting and sustaining employment. Um, I think those are all key things. And, and, and it ties into healthcare too, with people that need um, personal care assistance, you know, this whole issue with the um, fair pay for, uh, for home care campaign, you know, that, that ties into the, all this as well, because, you know, people need, even if someone is just trying to exist, a lot of the time they need um, assistance to stay independent and in the community. Um, and, and that, of course, is a big thing that we do at Nile is, you know, keeping people in the community or transition them to the community um, so they can make a lot of those choices on their own. Um, yeah, and- for sure. And we'll talk a little bit more about supportive decision making in a few minutes. But disability poverty is, I think, more of an issue than ever, is it not? Because as we're dealing with inflation, everything is going up, including the cost of disability, yet there doesn't seem to be a hell of a lot done about it. Right. Um, it's it's a major issue, and especially when you look at the way a lot of the benefit systems um, are designed, where they're they're pegged to certain dollar amounts, and you know they might have um, certain cost adjustments, maybe on an annual basis. But a, there are a lot of them that are not adjusted as frequently, and. Um, you know, especially in a place like New York, you have all sorts of regional differences mm-hmm. um, where we've seen certain housing markets or, you know, rental markets really climbing and and a lot of the vouchers and um, subsidies are um, having a real tough time keeping up. Yeah, well, I mean, one state, two wages. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew Cuomo. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it. it it's um it's definitely a challenge you know where they draw the lines um for a lot of these programs and i think you know ultimately what we really need is a system that just meets people's needs and and i think when i say disability poverty i think that's what i would like to you know address in all the various ways we can address it which includes you know healthcare transportation employment education um you know, elections, all these, all these things are tied in with this disability poverty issue. But um, I, I personally frame it that way, just because it's, um, you know, I'm looking at, you know, where people are at the bottom of the spectrum in regard to disability, where they're really, um, they're really trying to make it and they, they just can't right now. Yeah. And, and Alex Thompson, you nailed it right on the head. And the system is such that 
and now that I'm in the employment side of the world, I was in home care, as you know, and now I'm doing employment stuff. And when I see people posting or talking about, well, I want to work, but I don't want to lose my benefits. And my first reaction is, why the hell wouldn't you want to lose your benefits if you're able to work full-time? I mean, part-time, I get it, for sure. But working full-time, why wouldn't you want to lose those benefits? Yeah, it becomes a real challenge because they they have all these hard cutoffs and they have these, um, you know, you have all the reevaluations and, and it, it is a very complicated process. And I think a lot of people wish it wasn't. Um, for anyone that is having difficulty, you know, independent living centers usually do have someone, you know, who's a benefits counselor that can help, but it's still a challenge. Even if you have some of that help navigating the process, um, it's very difficult. And I think it's a very scary thought to a lot of people because, you know, once you get approved and you have, you know, some, some way to, um, survive, it's, you know, making that next step, um, and, you know, getting off benefits is, is scary. And I think, you know, it's, you know, getting that letter in the mail that, you know, you owe the government money or, (laughs) you know, they're going to cut you off or you're going to be reduced by whatever amount, or you're going to lose your healthcare. That's, it's a terrifying situation. It's unfortunate that people have to exist um, in that environment of fear. I think it's, um, I think it's a really sad reflection on, um, you know, how we regard disability right now in terms of meeting people's needs. For sure. I mean, and I've certainly been through all of that stuff. I willingly sacrifice making 500 bucks less a month to get off of benefits because frankly, Alex, I was so sick and tired of the the government telling me what I was able to make. And yeah, at first it was really scary. And I remember coming home after meeting with a benefits counselor, my very good friend Chris Walsh, locally here, and taking a nap so that I could just shut my brain off and and reset from that. And then also, too, getting that letter that says, hey, you you owe us money, and it's, how do you win? I mean, disability poverty is literally the perfect way of putting all this stuff. Right. I mean, it's it's a very broad brush to paint it with, but I'm I'm glad we're talking about some of the the nuances here. And and yes, it's for people that are um, that are able to work. And then, as we know, there are a lot of people with disabilities that are not able to work. And so, I think it's um, I think that's kind of a a shameful thing where um, you know we put people in a position where they are um, unable to survive on what little benefits they get. Um, when I was working at um, at RCAL, you know, our executive director was telling me about how there were people um, on SSI who would um, live in uh, motels during this during the winter, and they would be camping in the woods during the summer. And that's just, and that's, and that's for economic reasons. And yeah. um, that it's just a sad state of affairs to think that people would have to be, you know, living in the woods behind a shopping mall because they're not able to. Um, to get their means met. Yeah, and how do you get food at that point? How do you clean yourself up? Frankly, unless you willingly make that decision, and I'm sure both of us know people 
who do because that's just something they're into. How could you survive? Yeah. I mean, we're lucky in New York that there are a lot of, um, you know, there are probably more programs here in New York um, than a lot of other states. There are a lot of people that care. There are a lot of nonprofits. Um, but there, as you know, there are people that slip through the cracks, either through a program where they um, may not be um, be qualified for or make too much money or um, not, you know, they, they slip through the cracks and, and there are some nonprofits, you know, that are, that are doing really great work and getting people food and not necessarily disability specific. Um, so, so some of the needs get met, but it's, um, it shouldn't be that complicated, I guess. <laughs> right. Right. It, it shouldn't be. And you know, this all too well, because you've lived in other parts of the country, if I remember right. Yeah. I've, I've spent, you know, spent some time, um, you know, when I was in college, I lived in Pennsylvania, um, lived in Queens, New York. Um, I spent a short time in D.C. I've, um, you know, I've had the opportunity to take a road trip across the U.S. and see a lot of parts of the country. Um, oh, wow. But, wow. Yeah. So a whole road trip across the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. We were going out for uh, um, a family member of ours was having, having a wedding out in Idaho. So we drove... Uh, Drove all the way out from uh, from New York, all the way out to Idaho, and then all the way back. Oh. So that was uh, that was quite a whirlwind. But... Probably about thirty hours one way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, um, yeah, you see a lot of the country. There's a lot of um, it's uh, it's a big country. <laughs> There's <laughs> yeah. a lot of stuff out there <laughs> for sure, Alex Thompson. So let's let's get into this here. You know, the the ADA and I guess what in your mind are if there were, you know, two or three areas where you would want to strengthen the ADA, because let's face it, they're numerous. What would those be? Well, I always get a little nervous when people talk about fixing or changing the ADA, because as you as you know, there have been um, some efforts to try and change the ADA, which have not been very good, which include the ADA notification bills um, that have been um, that they've tried to pass in Congress, which requires, you know, special notification to business owners before an individual can bring a complaint related to an ADA violation. So it's basically extending the time out that business owners have to um, to fix um issues so basically it it creates this dynamic where nothing's going to get fixed or repaired or changed until someone makes a complaint um and then the business owner you know will have even more time you know past you know we're over 30 years since the ada has passed so i i think it's um a bit ridiculous to ask for even more time to address um some of these issues so but anyway, um, getting on the top of, topic of of past that, if there if there was um, interest in uh, adding or changing things about the ADA, I I think one of the big problems has been the um, you know the enforcement of the ADA and how um, how that has kind of worked out over the years. You know, or the how original, it hasn't. Hasn't how it hasn't. Yeah. So. <laughs> It, it's a complicated issue because um, 
you know, when the ADA was written, it was written in a way where people with disabilities would have are empowered basically to bring, um, you know, actions, lawsuits or complaints um, based on violations. So, you know, it does give people individual power, but I think um, part of the problem there is that um, you have a lot of people with disabilities that, you know, are just going, trying to go about and live their lives. And then they're encountering a problem. And then, you know, we're basically expecting them to make some kind of complaint and try and get it addressed. And, you know, that, you know, that may have worked a long time ago when a lot of these issues were new and the barriers were um, kind of immense. Um, But now that, you know, we have, um, you know, the technology is there. A lot of the information about how to fix a lot of these issues is out there. I think putting more responsibility on, on, um, on whatever entities are required to be accessible makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, and Alex, I did not plan on doing this because I just finished a little while ago before we started recording, I just finished a can of grapefruit seltzer and I emphasize can and I hope you you can hear me do this because what's been going on with the ADA is kick the can. Right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, as soon as like as soon as we started talking about that, I go okay. I've got this can on my desk. I need to use it as a prop. So uh, that yeah. I mean the so the Department of Justice does do enforcement. They've done. They've they've done some interesting things. They had a pro. They I think they still have a program where they go to various random communities and do like a community assessment, basically of a municipality to make sure that they're ADA compliant. You know everything from their playgrounds to their municipal offices, which I I think that's great. Um, but a lot of it is, you know, I think a lot of municipalities just hope they aren't on the list, you know, and they don't get right. caught. In, and maybe they aren't as, um, you know, cognizant about where they could be more accessible. Um, you know, Disability Rights New York kind of had has done this really good report uh, a few years ago where they, you know, looked at ADA coordinators and communities across New York State. And, um, you know, they recorded, you know, which municipalities had the information on their websites, which, you know, they were required to do was you know, posting information about the community's ADA coordinator if they're required to have one. Um, so, you know, someone could get, you know, accessible technology if they were coming to a meeting, you know, there could be interpretation or, um, or you know, they could address any access issues. And um, that report was not, um, well, it wasn't 100%, let's just say that, you know, there, there are a lot of communities around New York that could, that could be doing better. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll give you one example, and I don't know if you saw this, but our advocate friend Darlene McGraw here in this area, she was able to get the town of Waterford to agree to adopt an ADA plan in 60 days. I mean, that just sounds like a reality TV show. Adopt an ADA plan in 60 days. We, yeah. You know, when it was passed, the ADA was passed in 19-freaking-90. We were giving people five, or municipalities, communities, five years to adopt a transition plan. How the hell is it going to happen in 60? 
Right. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I know. Lots. I know there were there was um, <laughs> there certain places around New York State where they were not um, they were not fully repaving their roads because they yeah. didn't want to have to do the um, it, sidewalk improvements um, like curb cuts and things like that. So I think there had has been some bad behavior in the past, and you know, hopefully going forward, I think um, you know there's more leaders that are coming online that are you know more. Um, receptive to ADA stuff, just more aware. There's more awareness now. Um, so hopefully it's a thing where over time things change, but I think we also need to be, um, you know, vigilant about making sure there is more um, kind of enforcement work done around the ADA. And, it, and it's tricky because a lot of people think, you know, the, the building inspectors are doing that in municipalities and they're really not. Um, and so you know, ILCs have been a leader in this way where, you know, they've done assessments, you know, locally in their communities um, and, you know, also partnered with businesses. You know, there, there are a lot of businesses and municipalities that that want to do the right thing. They just don't know how to do the right thing as well. Um, and and I think there are also businesses that might not realize that it's not as expensive as they might think it is um, to be accessible. Yeah, and they just to, they just need to know the way. You know, they just need to get connected with someone who can provide them with resources to um, to make improvements. And and ILCs have have been doing that work and will continue to do some of that work. Um, Doesn't it and, amaze you though, yeah. Alex, that in 2022 in the information age, people don't know how to make this stuff happen? Because it doesn't. Yeah. Matter. Well, it, I mean, there are some things that are not on the internet, you know, when, you know, say you're a business owner and you have a, a one-step enter, entrance to your business, you know, what, what kind of, how do you go through the permitting process um, to, to do it safely and legally where you're not going to get a code violation or um, you're going to run into some problem? There's, I think there could be more information out there available to businesses. Um, and, and I think it's partnerships too, you know, partnering with um, communities and, and maybe even making community efforts to be more accessible. Um, I've, I've seen ILCs do that and it's a successful thing. You know, it brings more people into the businesses um, and it, it makes them accessible for everyone. Absolutely. Alex Thompson with me, Blaze Bryant here on the Blaze and Access podcast. All right. Final thing here. Because uh, we're both very busy people, and the room that I'm recording this in, it's 90 degrees. Um, the governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, did what most politicians do. They issue some sort of proclamation on the anniversary or the birthday of the ADA, and she actually went as far as to sign a few bills into... Law, one of the big ones that has universal agreement on, and if anyone disagrees, either you're inhuman or you're an alien, that people with developmental disabilities should have supportive decision-making. So uh, talk a little bit about that. Right. So the, the governor has, has signed um, a few bills. Um, one of them changed the language, um, you know, to eliminate kind of the outdated terminology related to people with developmental disabilities, which is great. Um, so we won't have to be looking at that sort of stuff. And yes, one of the big ones was support on dis supported decision-making. Um, so supported decision-making is important because 
traditionally uh, in New York, we've just had guardianship relationships. Um, so, you know, if you were a person with, um, you know, a disability and, um, you know, you needed, um, you know, you weren't able to, um, well, you needed some additional help in kind of making decisions or, um, you know, having that kind of life advisor role in, in your life to, to kind of help manage things, you know, guardianship was the, the only option. So, and guardianships can be very restrictive in terms of what rights um, are available to people. Um, and, you know, they can, they can be, um, they're based in very kind of strict legal frameworks. So what's nice about supported decision-making is, you know, you can have somebody basically have a little bit more control of their own decisions. You know, they have someone who's, um, who's helping them get through making decisions. It's not just someone making decisions for them, um, which is a big, which is a, is a big deal in someone's life when you think about it, you know, instead of having, you know, someone just telling you, you know, this is what I feel is best for you that, that, that somebody has, you know, input and that input's valued. Yeah. And, and can that be anyone? It, I mean, it could be, it could be anyone who would, I'm, I'm not sure of all the, the legal details of the bill itself, but um, it would relate, I mean, primarily the audience um, it relates to is people with developmental disabilities, but right. it can also be people that are aging with, um, they might be aging with some kind of um, um, cognition issue mm -hmm. or, um, you know, inability to make certain um, maybe decisions on their own, but, you know, they could be supported in making decisions. Gotcha. So in other words, this person that the, okay, let me reword this here. So the person with the developmental or cognitive disability gets to choose someone who's essentially like a life advisor to give them the best information to make what they feel as the disabled person, the best decision. It's not just giving them the best information, but it's, it's, um, you know, using their, their input, you know, it might be just rephrasing questions in a way that is more understandable. You know, if, if it's a, a yes and no questions versus, you know, some very complex nuanced um, kind of, you know, legal decision that they're making, you know, if it, if they can interpret it to where it's um, more understandable, you know, plain language, you talk about plain language. So if, if things can be interpreted into a way where it's in like plain language, you know, they can, um, you know, be, be better informed and make, make informed, you know, the, the decisions are informed by the individual person's um, um, what they would like. You know, it's informed by what they would like and not just um, someone making a decision based on what they think they would like. So it's 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 person centered. Gotcha. Gotcha. And some of the other stuff that was done was removing the the antiquated and long outdated, uh, you know, phrasing around uh, mental mental illness and developmental disability, you know, getting rid of the. R word. I mean, I hate the word so damn much, Alex. I can't even say it on the podcast. And you know me, I have no issue really saying anything. I, 
I can't even bring myself to say the word. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, it's um, I I am very happy that that is something that they were able to change. I mean, it seems like something very simple, um, and so I'm very happy that they have put the effort into doing it. Um, because when you do read through a lot of bill, because even when you read through bill language, you know they have to cite everything correctly, and so you know even if they're citing something, they have to use you know what the actual language is in the in the statute right. or um, in the bill. And it's, um, I think it's a really, um, it's a really positive thing moving forward that we can um, not refer to people that way. Yeah. Was there anything done from what you know to strengthen the rights and protections for people with physical disabilities that are considered non-developmental? Um. I, off the top of my head, I don't remember um, all the specifics um, of what was in the bill package. I know, as you said in the, in the opening, um, you know, the governor did um, sign the proclamation on the ADA, um, which if people have been following um, disability kind of rights stuff in New York was a very big deal. Um, we are, are kind of in a new era now with Governor Hochul um, where there is acknowledgement of the ADA, um, where she has put together a diverse team um, of people um, with the chief disability officer leading uh, Kim Hill. And um, so we're we're very excited for what is um, is, you know, coming out of that office. You know, there may not have been anything specific related to physical disability at the ADA signing, but I know for a fact that they're working on some really um, important things um, right now that will probably be released uh, later in the year as we move forward and and hopefully into the next legislative session. So I I know they're doing really good work. Um, I think we all have faith in um, in the ability of of our government now to um, you know at least acknowledge people with disabilities and and hopefully um, get some more great stuff into law for us, make some changes, positive changes. That's really good to hear, Alex, and I'm very glad you told me that because to me, having been part of, and I continue to be as as much as I can, part of the Fair Pay for Home Care advocacy, the governor did not include that in her budget, as you know. And one of the things that just struck me about that is the home care workforce is so predominantly English, predominantly made up of women, yet she didn't include it in her budget. She talks so much about being a mom and having to sacrifice a lot of things, and it just, the whole thing felt, and I'll say, at least for me personally, continues to feel a little disingenuous. So that that's good to hear that there's some progress that it sounds like things are still coming together enough and either you can't or don't feel comfortable <laughs> getting more into that stuff and that's totally okay because you know the cat's well, gonna come out of the bag when it's ready to yeah so we don't have i don't have any specific information on anything that they're planning i'm, I'm i guess i'm just expressing optimism in that sure um, that they do have a good team there um that i think have the interests of people with disabilities in mind that they are um, aware of 
a lot of the issues at play. I know, you know, when Kim Hill was first um, introduced as the chief disability officer, she mentioned fair pay for home care specifically, um, which I thought was great. I mean, we we would love to have that pass. We're still working on um, on that issue. And um, and I know there are other issues as well that we would um, that we would hope the governor would support and get behind. We're not, um, you know, they haven't said yes to everything. So, you know, we're not uh, 100% in line with, you know, our our agenda and, you know, where they are uh, thinking of going, which I think is not probably a big surprise. But, you know, we will continue to work with them. Um, and yeah, we're, we're optimistic. And I think it's encouraging that they have, um, you know, I think there's um, there's a difference between the past uh, administration of the governor and and kind of a lot of what's going on now. So uh, people should be optimistic. This is true. Yeah, you're you're absolutely not wrong. And, you know, it almost feels like, you know, advocacy and baseball are very similar in that if you're successful, you know, 30 percent of the time in terms of your advocacy, you have plenty to celebrate. Right. Yeah. I mean, we, we have, um, we have things to celebrate. We have things to celebrate. And, and I think, um, you know, there are a lot of negative things, you know, as we're talking about disability poverty and, and a lot of the situation that people are in, that's, um, you know, sometimes we get stuck thinking about a lot of that stuff, um, which we should be thinking about. And it's important to keep thinking about um, a lot of that. But um, I think it's also important to be kind of thinking optimistically about, you know, what we can change, where we can go, what we can do, what we can accomplish um, in moving things forward for, for everyone. Alex, that's the perfect note to end. Alex Thompson, the Director of Advocacy for the New York Association on Independent Living. People can find out more information, and including look up their local independent living center at ilny.org. I think I got that Great. right. Thank yep. Thank you, Blaze. Well, Alex, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the Blaze and Access podcast. Your thoughts and Criticisms are most welcome. You can send me a note, blazinshows at gmail.com. That's B-L-A-I-S-I-N shows at gmail.com. As well as on Facebook and Twitter at Shows. Go check out my new website. I've made some accessibility enhancements. Again, that's blazinshows.com. And if you are willing and able to, please consider making a donation to help support the show so that we can continue amplifying the disability voice i'm blaze bryant thank you so much for listening to the blaze and access podcast amplifying the disability voice one story at a time